Welcome to the Richard Roper Show. Happy Halloween, everyone. We're still a few weeks away, but this is the Halloween season. I'm not just talking about all that candy that's already been up in stores or those uh, spirit Halloween stores that pop up all over the place or the fact that half of the couples who dress up uh, for Halloween this year are either going to be Barbie and Ken or Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, I think. I don't know. I don't. I try not to dress up for Halloween unless uh, unless uh, someone is forcing me into it or paying me to go on TV and and look foolish. We can talk about that in another time. But we are going to talk about scary movies uh, in particular. Uh, we've got uh, The Exorcist Believer just hitting theaters. This is the direct sequel to, of course, the 1973 classic The Exorcist. We're going to talk about the latest Exorcist movie, the history of the Exorcist movies, my um, review of Exorcist Believer, and uh, the return of Ellen Burstyn uh, in the role of Chris McNeil, which she originated some 50 years ago today. We're going to talk about that's a 50-year gap between uh, character and actor uh, reprising their roles. We're going to talk about some of the other big, big gaps between uh, time and actor. Was in a movie playing a certain character, or an actress, and then came back 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 years later. And uh, I'm going to mention some of my scariest movies of all time, all of that and more. But first, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need that experience, partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. That's AmericanEagle.com. The devil has one wish. Wherever those girls went, they brought something back with them. <laughs> to make us lose faith. I believe you can help get our daughters back. To kill it in us. And the devil never gives up. She knows who I am. Where's the other girl? What you're doing here is dangerous. People have died on both sides of possession. Come on, baby. Come back to us, okay? <laughs> if you don't make it, I don't make it. Mama. What is it, baby? I can't, I can't do it. I'm right here. I don't want to go to hell. That is a little audio from the Exorcist Believer. This is the direct sequel. Actually, it's a direct sequel to The Exorcist, which uh, came out, of course, 50 years ago. In fact, it's almost 50 years to the date. Uh, the original Exorcist um, has been uh, getting uh, some remastered 4K DVD version releases. Uh, it's playing in some theaters this fall. Uh, the movie actually came out December 26th, 1973, which I always thought was... Uh, kind of warped and kind of great that the day after Christmas, they released this horror film that some in the church called sacrilegious. Others actually thought it was a film that actually reinforced the Catholic faith, but certainly was a controversial film and, and really dark stuff to release. Hey, let's bring the presents back to the store. 
kids are still uh, getting those D batteries for their toys. And eh, maybe mom and dad will go see The Exorcist. Why not? <laughs> so here's the deal with The Exorcist uh, Believer. This is from uh, the director, David Gordon Green, who's a really interesting cat and undeniably talented filmmaker. He started off uh, making really cool indie films. Gosh, 20 years ago, I guess now. Um, and then I will say this. I, I, I credit David Gordon Green with rescuing the Halloween franchise uh, from decades of Drek uh, with the 2018 direct sequel. That's the one that uh, brought back Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode. It asked you to forget about all the other Halloween movies that came out uh, between the 78 original and this movie in 2018. I thought that was really well done. Uh, but then he did uh, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, and those just went back to being schlock. Really, I thought, disappointing after uh, the 2018 Halloween. So now David Gordon Green, they're reviving the Exorcist franchise. So the Exorcist, as we mentioned, 1973, William Friedkin adapting uh, William Peter Blatty's uh, hugely successful novel. And uh, Mr. Blatty also wrote the screenplay, and it had this amazing cast, incredible cinematography, the perfect score uh, it was just brilliantly done and we talk about elevated horror i don't even know what that means anymore usually means something that's beyond just you know torture porn or, or which is another term i kind of got overused but elevated horror is, is is something that's got more going for it than just easy jump scares and masked killers right you know psychological horror films well the exorcist really essentially uh, invented that level of the genre. It was the first horror film to be nominated for an Academy Award. It got a slew of Academy Award nominations. The only reason I think it didn't win for Best Makeup, because when you look back on it, man, the, the makeup and the special effects and the practical effects, whatever whatever you want to call them, uh, they didn't have a Best Makeup Academy Award back then. So there was nothing for it to win. I think they should retroactively go back to all the films from the decades prior to the uh, inclusion of a best makeup category kind of amazing when you think about it when you think about especially i know i'm kind of going off on a tangent here but hey it's a podcast uh but you know you think about how huge a role makeup played in all sorts of genres but in particular horror going all the way back to the silent film era and some of the scariest you know nosferatu and the phantom of the opera and the tricks they would do with makeup and prosthetics and, and lighting and a lot of other things and they didn't have a, a a category for best makeup so we had the original in 1973 then we had we've had sequels we've had prequels uh i think there was a tv effort uh they've never captured the uh the dark magic the amazing symbolism uh the religious imagery uh the incredible performances all of it they've never come close to capturing the original exorcist that uh, so there's a lot of high hopes for the exorcist believer and i'm here to tell you uh, that those hopes should be immediately dashed because this is a terrible film. It's crummy looking, I thought, uh, clunky editing, murky cinematography, tasteless, kind of tacky and uninspired story. Uh, here's essentially what happens. There's um, there's two young girls who go, uh, they leave school and they go for a walk in the woods and they disappear for three days. When they come back, they think they've only been gone for a couple of hours and something happened in the woods and they've been twin possessed. It's a girl by the name of Angela, who's played by Lydia Jewett, and Olivia Markham plays uh, Catherine, her best friend. Two young actors. They do what they can with the roles. And the, the cast is really good. Leslie Odom Jr., who's terrific, uh, plays the father of Angela. They're the, you know, the main characters here. So they're both possessed, and it doesn't take long for the parents of these two kids to figure out something really funky is going on. 
And this is when they crowbar in. And I'm telling you, it is one of the most contrived and ridiculous and forced uh, appearances, reprisals, as we mentioned, of a great actor playing a great role. They bring back Ellen Burstyn's Chris McNeil. Now, in the original, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely see it. In the original, she was playing an actress, uh, a movie star by the name of Chris McNeil, Ellen Burstyn's character. They, uh, She was with her daughter, Regan, Regan played by uh, Linda Blair in Georgetown in Washington, D.C., because she was filming a, a protest movie that the movie within a movie in The Exorcist looks really bad, by the way. Uh, so that's why they're in that townhouse in Georgetown. Dad is absentee. They're divorced. Uh, there's a phone call where she tries to get a hold of him. He's staying at a hotel in Rome. He's never there. What a shit, by the way, for never even coming home, even when as his daughter was levitating. So they bring back this character. And we find out that she wrote a book about her experiences and then became kind of a traveling lecturer. She gave up acting the character and is now this expert on exorcisms. And she hasn't heard from her own daughter, Regan. Sorry, I keep saying Regan because it's spelled that way, but they call her Regan. Uh, she hasn't heard from her own daughter in years or even decades. And then they bring her in and she just decides to come along and, and try to help with the exorcism. I'm not going to say what happens to her character, but I thought it was like. I don't know. It's Ellen Burstyn's choice. She's 90 years old. She looks amazing. She's still a magnetic presence on screen. But what they do to that character is, to me, borderline offensive. And then they have all these other characters who just happen to be conveniently in the picture. Uh, the next door neighbor was going to be a nun, but then dropped out and became a nurse. The guy across the street uh, is... Um, yeah, the guy across the street from, again, the house where they're, where they're going to do the exorcism. He's a Pentecostal preacher. Uh, the parents of the, the best friend, they're evangelicals. So there, and then there's even a Catholic priest and the Catholic church says they don't want to get involved in this double exorcism. But then this priest joins them. So it's like exorcists assemble for the twin exorcism. You've got like six or seven different people. You've got a root doctor who shows up and she's drawing chalk circles and they're moving the furniture around like you do when you're about to host a big Thanksgiving dinner. And then you get this extended double exorcism sequence, which has none of the, the sheer chilling terror, none of the shock value of the original proving that just because we have better special effects now doesn't mean that we have a better movie. Uh, one of the most disappointing movies of the year it's uh, Exorcist the Believer, the Exorcist Believer, the Exorcist colon Believer. I don't know who's believing in this, but I'm not. Uh, unfortunately, I did mention, though, that's pretty cool that Ellen Burstyn is still acting. She's 90 years old. As far as I could tell, guys, and you'll you'll correct me. I've had people on Twitter attempting to set me straight, but they they, they haven't. Um, this is because the, they're mentioning roles that didn't have a pure gap between them. Um, what I'm talking about is someone is in a movie and then they're not playing that character again at all until they appear again. So Tom Cruise is Maverick, for example. That was a 36-year gap. Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, an 18-year gap. Mark Hamill is Luke Skywalker. That was 32 years. Uh, Michael Keaton is Bruce Wayne. Batman, of course, came back in The Flash. That was a 31-year gap. Uh, Paul Newman uh, from The Hustler to The Color of Money was about 27 years. Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall, 33-year gap in the Coming to America movies. Uh, you can go all the way back to uh, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, who did, a, unfortunately, a terrible Odd Couple sequel. I think it was about 30 years after the classic original, which then, of course, was adapted into a classic TV show. And then Peter Billingsley came back as Ralphie, as Ralphie from A Christmas Story, uh, 39 years after he played Ralphie the kid. He plays Ralphie the parent. So 50 years uh, between the last time we saw Ellen Burstyn 
as uh, Chris McNeil and seeing her now in The Exorcist Believer. It's a shame she didn't get better material to work with. And if if you don't know a lot about uh, Ellen Burstyn's work, I, I, first of all, she's she's been great forever. Uh, started off, I think, in, as far back as the late 50s, early 60s, doing TV roles. Uh, and then I can't overstate what a huge star she was in the early 70s with The Last Picture Show, which got her a nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Of course, The Exorcist. Then there was Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, a great film for Martin Scorsese. She won, uh, Ellen Burson won the BAFTA and the Academy Award for Best Actress. And then won the Tony Award in 1975 for same time next year. There was a film adaptation for that. She won a Golden Globe for that. So there was a period of about seven or eight years there in the 70s when Ellen Burstyn was as big of a star as there was in the world and deservedly so. Just a, a magnetic, wonderful, terrific actress who eventually segued into doing you know, a lot of stage work. She did a lot where I'm here in Chicago, of course, on Broadway. And then she'd do a miniseries. She'd do an HBO film take supporting roles, uh, worked with Darren Aronofsky, all kinds of really amazing work, an incredible career. Uh, so we choose to remember for, and by the way, I shouldn't say we choose to remember her. She's still with us. God bless, hopefully for years to come, but uh, we choose to salute the career of Ellen Burstyn for everything up to Exorcist Believer. They can't all be winners, folks. Okay, um, why don't we take a break and talk a little bit about portillo's and then i'm going to come back and talk about the original exorcist celebrating its 50th year and i'm going to give you a few of my picks for the scariest movies of all time and what i think makes for a truly memorable horror film stay with us All right, it's time to tell you about Portillo's, the greatest single fast casual cuisine experience you're ever having, ever in your life. Let's talk about the hot dogs and all the famous Chicago ingredients. They'll do it for you so you don't have to worry about getting it wrong. That includes the poppy seed bun. Then we can talk about the Italian beef, the sausage, and the fries, the salad, the chicken, you name it, all topped up, of course, with the legendary Portillo's chocolate cake. It's fast casual. That means it's better than fast food. You can sit down if you go to one of the restaurants, but it's still super casual. And you can order anywhere in the country via Portillo's.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Once again, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Ask your friends from Chicago about it. Portillo's.com. Something beyond comprehension is happening to a little girl on this street, in this house. A man has been sent for as a last resort to try and save her. Okay, as I mentioned, 50 years since the original Exorcist came out, I've written a number of pieces on the film over the years. And, it, you know, it's interesting, as I mentioned, we talk about when people say, what's your favorite movie of all time? You know, I, I don't have a more creative answer than The Godfather because that's the answer. Godfather 1 and Godfather 2. But I also always have the caveat of telling people there are a hundred other movies that I love as much as I love The Godfather. It's, you know, it's on any given day I could come back with 
Goodfellas or the Maltese Falcon or Pulp Fiction, tons of other other films. Uh, but when you ask me what's the scariest movie I've ever seen, there's no such caveat. It's The Exorcist. That has never changed. It will never change in any given day. There are a lot of great horror movies out there. But again, The Exorcist, what they did uh, in that film, it's, you know, it's, it's dark. It's darkly funny in a couple of occasions. It's got all these great uh, layers to it every time you watch it. Uh, the cinematography is incredible. What they did with Linda Blair's character. And that room, that bedroom where there are repeated attempts to save her, it just all done. And then it ends on, a, there's two different endings, by the way. There's just a little bit of a difference between the later cut. It's a little more hopeful, but in both cases, the, the touching one last time on faith and spirituality. Uh, I want to mention, too, a few things to look for if you're re-watching uh, The Exorcist or seeing it for the first time. Some things I've spotted through the years that just give it that, you know, that extra layer of just coolness you know there's a scene where um early on where uh reagan comes downstairs and says you're going to die up there and then she urinates on the uh, on the carpet and the guests are all shocked and when you watch the scene you're figuring that she's uh, she's possessed at that point but we don't know it uh that she's directing that line toward uh Father Joseph Dyer who's played by a real life Jesuit priest by the way Father William O'Malley but in fact she's directing that line to one Captain Billy Cutshaw an astronaut who will soon be going up in space as we saw in a conversation earlier at that same cocktail party now the character of Captain Billy Cutshaw is just barely in the exorcist played by Dick Callan uh later on in a movie called The Ninth Configuration, which was written and directed by William Peter Blatty, author of The Exorcist. In that movie, one of the primary characters is Billy Cutshaw, a former astronaut who aborted a mission to the moon after suffering a breakdown. One can assume that when he found out that this little girl was possessed and said, you're going to die up there, he decided not to go up there. Uh, I mentioned uh, in the first half of the podcast, the movie within a movie in The Exorcist. So famed actress Chris McNeil are in Georgetown because she's in a movie called Crash Course. And you see she's got, you know, she's friends with the director who's this British kind of asshole drunk. And she has all the cast and crew over for a party. That's the one we're talking about, the party where, you know, you're going to die up there happens. But we also see this protest scene on the Georgetown campus and it looks this movie looks terrible. The movie, movies within movies are often uh, terrible. But um, it's just interesting that these actresses in this weird movie about protests and social awareness, uh, she's not a spiritual person and then comes home to uh, the greatest movie, one of the greatest movies of all time. I like this too. They talk about movies a lot within the movie The Exorcist. Lee J. Cobb, the great Lee J. Cobb, he plays uh, Lieutenant Kinderman, who's uh, you know investigating what happened to that first priest who fell quote unquote fell down the stairs and at one point he tells uh father damien that uh he looks like john garfield in body and soul and then uh father Karras comes back and says do people tell you you look like paul newman it's a big funny joke the funny part is lee jacob actually played paul newman's father in the 1960 film exodus and then later on we find out that lieutenant kinderman he, he talks a lot about how he likes to critique movies and he loves movies and he even asks uh, Chris for an autograph on his business card and tells her that he loved the film she made called Angel. She was in a movie called Angel. Interesting, given that this what this movie is, is about. Some stuff to look for 
the we mentioned Georgetown the, in in Washington D.C. The location there, Sever, there are like tours as there are for a lot of movies, uh, where people go to the various uh, practical sites, real sites where the movie was filmed, and they have what they call the Exorcist steps. And if you've seen the movie, you know why those steps are so famous. It's um, between M Street and Prospect Street at 36th and Georgetown. It's one of the most famous staircases, outdoor steps, I should say in movie history, right up there with the Potemkin stairs, the Rocky steps, of course, leading up to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And of course, more recently, the Joker stairs in the Bronx. And if you ever walk by or take a picture at the Exorcist steps, there's actually, I think, a little plaque there. And they had a ceremony where they uh, declared it uh, an actual DC tourist attraction back in 2015. And uh, the late William Friedkin was there for that. We lost William Friedkin. Um, Earlier this year, I think he would have absolutely loved all the attention The Exorcist is getting. Uh, as a side note, Mr. Friedkin's last film is now out on Showtime. He completed this just a few months before he passed away. It premiered at the Venice Film Festival just weeks after he died. Uh, the film is The Kane Mutiny Court Martial. Uh, you might remember there was a classic Humphrey Bogart movie in the 50s called The Kane Mutiny. It was based on a famous book but was also adapted into a play, which has been also adapted into TV and movie versions. Robert Altman did one. So this is, uh, the Kane Mutiny is all about an uprising on a, on a minesweeper. In, in the original, I think it was during World War II, Humphrey Bogart plays Captain Quig, and uh, one of his underlings deems that he's uh, not fit to serve. So the trial is all about uh, whether or not the, uh, the captain should have been relieved of his duty, uh, and if the guy who... Uh, led the rebellion he's the one that's getting the court martial uh, the showtime version is just the court martial trial itself it's the trial uh so it's a one room there's one scene there's one scene that takes place outside of the courtroom but it's really brilliantly done uh this amazing cast you've got um Kiefer sutherland now plays lieutenant commander quig it's a big bold kind of daring performance it's really good uh, Jake Lacey plays the executive officer who's aboard the USS Kane, who uh, undermines uh, Quig and is being tried for uh, for offenses that could put him, get him thrown in jail for 20 years. Jason Clark is the defense attorney. Monica Raymond is the lead prosecutor. Uh, the late Lance Reddick, a lot of people know him from, of course, uh, the John Wick movies, but he's done a lot of terrific work. This is one of his last roles. He plays the head judge hearing the case. So you got all these great actors. It's very much like an Aaron Sorkin type of drama in fact i think aaron sorkin uh, was inspired to write a few good men by the kane mutiny court martial but that is the final film from william friedkin the director of the original exorcist it's on showtime right now definitely worth your while uh wanted to talk a little bit before we say goodbye about some of my other uh classic scary movies and you know when we talk about scary movies <laughs> we talk about dramas and we talk about the greatest films of all time. What, you know, either you love certain films or you don't, but very few people say they don't love the Godfather or they don't love, you know, Schindler's list and the Hitchcock films and all the ones that are mentioned routinely mentioned among the, you know, Shawshank redemption, et cetera, et cetera. There's not a lot of argument about whether or not those films are great with horror films and with comedies. I think it's much more subjective. There are a lot of people who love comedies that I found, profoundly unfunny and i find some hilarious that some people think you know that's okay i'm more a fan of character-driven 
script-driven, dialogue-driven comedies than the big broad stuff, although that stuff can be really funny too. You know, a lot of comedies, though, I love from the 70s and 80s, Next Generation say, oh, man, John Hughes is overrated or National Lampoon, I don't get it. You can't argue with that because, you know, either you laugh or you don't. Same thing with scary movies. There are tons of films, you know, Friday the 13th and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, although I think that's a little bit more elevated, if you will, uh, than Friday the 13th. Even Halloween, there are a lot of films out there that are just about kind of the immortal killer who can't be stopped, the masked killer who, you know, dies, keeps getting killed, but somehow is resurrected for the sequels. I don't find most of those movies particularly scary. The original Halloween, definitely the original Nightmare on Elm Street. But a lot of them are just, you know, to me, they're just slasher movies and you know every beat. I'm not really scared by them. Uh, so I, I, I just off the top of my head, I, I listed some of my favorites. Uh, the Shining, of course, Stanley Kubrick's uh, famous classic film, which has such a slow build when you watch it, but really becomes terrifying. I mentioned the first Halloween. I do, you know, when you go back to the first Halloween too, there's just a handful of actual kills in there. It has a very authentic docudrama feel, which to me hits harder than something where there are just so many killings. Uh, recently, I think Hereditary from 2018 was terrific. Uh, the Ring, which there are different versions and sequels to The Ring, but the original Ring had a man that gave me the chills in 2002. Going back to 1968, Rosemary's Baby. Talk about something that before its time was really controversial and really freaked people out, as did Psycho in 1960. Dawn of the Dead, 78, was kind of the original. There are other films about zombies, but uh, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Carrie, the original Carrie, man. And again, if you haven't seen it, I don't want to give it away, but the shock ending there has been duplicated, imitated, ripped off dozens of times. But when it happened in the original Carrie, and I saw it when I was 16 years old, probably, scared the shit out of me. And sometimes it's the, it has to do with where you are in your life. You know, I saw the original Exorcist. I just had eight years of, I was 14, I want to say, 13 or 14 eight years of Catholic education, you know, preparing me for that. So, you know, that scares the shit out of you. It still does though, as I saw in a recent viewing, those are some of my favorite horror movies of all time. There are tons out there. Always can hit me up at our Roper at suntimes.com. Thanks to everybody for listening. This is the Richard Roper show. We'll be back again real soon.